Hey, listen, guys, we're going to uh, just go ahead and jump right into the text this morning. And so we're 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, would you guys turn there and meet me there? Now, we have an interesting um, task this morning in that, that we have a lot of scripture. We're about 20 verses. So we're going from chapter 2, verse 13, to the end of chapter 2, and all of chapter 3. And so I'm not going to preach here for an hour and a half, though that would be fun for me and not for you, but we will look at kind of an overarching, I want to answer one overarching question I think that the Apostle Paul, as he writes to this church, is able to answer for us, and that's, that's the question of how do we handle suffering, and real suffering. Um, not to say that any suffering is trivial. Last night I, I posted on my Facebook page jokingly that, you know, now that ASU had lost, now I can really teach on suffering. That, that wasn't suffering. That was somewhat idolatrous on my part. Um, all the U of A fans here, I will give it to you. You beat us. Um, I promise two things, to always hate U of A and uh, to be honest in the fact that I can take a loss. But uh, last night was really brutal for the UASU fans. I know that you guys are mourning with me. Uh, yesterday was my birthday. And uh, yeah, exactly. And I was so excited to go to the game. And I'm like, at the end of the day, the best part of it was the free food at Joe's Barbecue and Liberty Market. And I was like, that was the best part of my birthday, not the game. So we're, 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 gonna, we're gonna look at something that I, I, I honestly, uh, I say that jokingly, but segue, when we talk about suffering, um, it's sensitive. And the reason why it's sensitive to talk about suffering is because there are people in this room that in this moment that are going through something that is tragic. There, there are people in this room that have gone through something and the reality of it is there are people in this room, all of you in this room, at some point will go through some form of suffering. No matter if your life's been really good or your life's been really bad, it's inevitable, whether you're a Christian or not, it is inevitable. Um, and and I'm, I'm not going to be able to answer all the questions about suffering, but I do believe that when Paul writes in this section that he gives us an understanding of how we can handle suffering in our lives. And so before we jump into the text, I, I will ask you as always, if you guys would just pray with me that, that we would see Jesus and, and, and not anything else. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are gracious, and Father, you are God, and you are God alone. Your ways are so much higher than ours, Lord, and yet, Lord, we live in the realities of a broken world. God, give us insight as we look at your text and as we look at the word. Give us insight, Lord, in our own lives, Father, as we, as we do struggle. And we struggle in our doubts because of evil and suffering. Father, that we struggle in our own pain because of what um, suffering brings in our life. So God, give us an unwavering commitment to you. Help us to see your son Jesus, um, that we may understand more of who you are in light of and in the midst of our own, our own uh, problems. God, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. But about a year ago, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who I'd been sharing the gospel with, and I, I thought he was close. And if you ever had the opportunity where, you're, where you're, you're sharing Jesus with somebody and you can almost sense like they are going to become a Christian here in a few seconds. And, and it, it, he believed that Jesus was the way. He believed that God was holy. He believed that, that he was a sinner. And I'm thinking, this is going to happen. I can't wait. This is going to go. And then he asked one question, and he shared something to me. And I've known this guy for years. And he shared something to me that was so personal that I'd never known about something that was tragic that had happened to him. And he goes, here's my only thing. I can't believe in God because of, because of these things that have happened to me. And the, and, the, and the thing that these horrible things that have happened to me and other young boys and young girls around the world, it, it's just hard for me to reconcile this God in whom you talk about. This God in whom you talk about with a smile on your face. It's, it's hard for me to really believe in that. I, I get that I'm jacked up and I'm, I'm sure I need a savior if there's a savior, but, but what a, I needed a savior 10 years ago. 
I needed someone to save me 10 years ago. That, that, that's hard for me. I, I can't believe yet. I, I have to figure that one out. And that floored me. It floored me, not because I had never gone through any suffering in my life. It just floored me because that was a hang-up for him. And to be honest with you, that's a hang-up for many people. Some people, when it comes to evil and suffering, it's a philosophical question. That they can't, they, they can't reconcile a holy God, a loving God that would allow some of the crazy things that happen in our world. And then for, for, for some of us, it's deeply personal. It's deeply personal. And, and it's not just something for people who don't believe in Jesus. Let's just be honest. Um, suffering and evil and, and things that happen to us outside of us are, are something that, that poses problems for even the, the, the most mature believer in Jesus Christ. We see it throughout Scripture. And so, so I think what we'll have the opportunity today is looking at the scripture and just, and just and by God's grace, try to answer the question through the scriptures is how could we handle suffering? How can we maintain and endure, endure faith during suffering? The Apostle Paul starts off again in verse 13. Let me just catch you up by the way of review. Um, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church that's in Thessalonica. And chapter one that we've seen that in Acts chapter 17, when Paul got there, he shared the gospel with them. They believed in Jesus. And, and the gospel came and the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit and that they turned from idols, false gods, and they believed the one true living God. And in chapter two, we've seen how Paul gives us an example of discipleship and how he walked with them. And, and what we've been hearing in this is an over, two overarching themes. One, Paul is giving them an example of how to live in light of Jesus' second coming. In light of the fact that God will come, God will restore, God will renew, and God will fully redeem all of creation in the work and through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And the second thing that we've seen in Paul is his affection and his love for these people. There's a sense that he's not some aloof pastor that just preaches at him, but he says, I spent my life with you. In, in chapter two, he says, I was so affectionately desirous of you because you guys came so dear to me. And so he just doesn't want them to live in light of eternity, but he also wants them to know how much he loves them. And then Paul picks up here in addressing their issues, which is the issues of suffering. Uh, beginning in chapter two, verse 13, he says this. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen that they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. The first thing that we see when it comes to how we can handle suffering is Paul lets it know here as he thinks God constantly in verse 13 here that, that they heard the word and that they received the word. And when they received the word, they just didn't receive it as people teaching it to them, but they received it as it really was. Like the, the, the Greek here, literally, words from the mouth of God. I, I believe that whenever we go through any suffering or what will prepare us how to handle suffering is we have to know the word. And I'm not saying this in, in some Bible study way or, or in a wanna way or just remembering scripture way, but, but honestly knowing what the Bible teaches. Because here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible gives us a look into ultimate reality. It doesn't hide anything. God reveals his character, and he also reveals what's wrong with the world. The Bible lets us know what the world was like and what it was supposed to be like with God and, human and mankind in perfect harmony with creation. The Bible also gives us what went wrong and how man sinned against a holy God. 
and how the problem of sin brought about even evil and suffering, and, and not just individual sin, but we see disaster, we, de- we see destruction. The Bible shows about natural disasters. The Bible shows about incest. The Bible speaks about rape. The Bible sees, uh, teaches us about economic injustice. The Bible teaches about prostitution, about sex slave trafficking. The Bible teaches about unjust and, and just unruly leaders. The Bible shows all of these things. People who have done this, there were God's people and people who were not God's people. You see, when we read the Bible, the Bible very much, especially when you read in the Old Testament, it's very R-rated. It's very R-rated. We, we, we see things in the Bible like mass murder and genocide. We see these things. God by no means is holding something in the back of his back saying, I don't want to show you guys the bad things. But he says, no, this is what has happened. And this is what has happened to my people. And this is the crazy things that my people have done. So when, I, when, I, when we read the Bible, when you really read the Bible, it helps you for suffering. Not because it cures your pain, but it lets you know that we don't live in a fairy tale land. We live in a real world. A world where, where bad guys die and good guys die. That, that bad things happen to good people, and then sometimes good things happen to what we would call bad people. Now, that doesn't bring us comfort, but it is honest. I think as pastors, I think as leaders, I think as Christians, the best thing that we can do when it comes to suffering is not to be insensitive, but I think sometimes beforehand is you got to preach God's word. It's the reason why we have an unwavering commitment to preaching the Bible book by book. Because we want to be able to go through things that we wouldn't normally pick. We want to say things that are just honest because they come from Scripture, not from what we're just thinking up in our minds. And I think it has to be the same way for those of us as Christians. And so when we read through the Bible, we know, okay, um, bad things will happen. This world is broken. I was, the other day, uh, we were watching football, my son and I. And, it, and you guys know what's happening with Penn State, and we don't need to really get into that, but the, before the Penn State-Nebraska game, the guys on the team got together, and the coach got out there, they were praying, and my oldest son was next to me, and he says, Daddy, what, what, are, they, what, are, they, what are they doing? Why are they praying? Why are the football players praying? And, and, I, and I could, a two-and-a-half-year-old son, what am I going to tell him, right? And I just kind of said, hey, some people are broken, and Jesus has to fix them. I, said, oh, I, I couldn't tell him everything, but I wanted to be honest with them. And then I just say, hey, everybody's broken, Noah. And Jesus has to fix everybody. But when it comes to evil and suffering, it's more than just repenting of your own sin. It's realizing that you live in a world that is saturated with sin. Now, God's still good. He's still on the throne. But the Bible gives us reality of what the world that we live in. Paul prepares him for this. And he says, I'm thankful that you heard this. Because then he goes on to say, now here's the suffering that you had. Verse 14 says, For you brothers, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. What, what he's saying is the same persecution that you're suffering now for being Christians, the same suffering that you're suffering now, you're not the only ones. And he's not saying you're not the only ones. He's saying I'm trying to comfort you. And I'm going to comfort you by experience. And I'm going to comfort you by the word. First, there are other churches that came before you in Judea. And they, 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 they were people who suffered much like you. There are people who were persecuted by their own people just like you. And then he reaches back into the scriptures and he says, oh yeah, in the Holy Scriptures, in the Old Testament, there were also people who lived for God's word. And they were prophets. And guess what? These same people that opposed them, the same type of people that opposed you, opposed them and they killed them. And then eventually they killed Jesus. And that wasn't Paul's way to bring comfort. It was just saying, hey, you're doing the right thing. Hold fast to Jesus. This is what the word of God has showed us. People who have stood up for God, people who live for Jesus, it doesn't always turn out well for them in this life. 
It doesn't always work well for them in this life. And Paul goes on to talk about these people who displease them. And he says, verse 15, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But the wrath of God has come on them alas. What Paul is saying is, listen, people who oppose God, they're going to continue to oppose God, and they will continue to heap up sin upon themselves. And eventually, if they never turn to God, if they never run to God, God's wrath will be upon them. And it's not a way for us to go, oh, we, should, we want that to happen. Paul is just saying, this is inevitable. But if you know the word, I'm glad that you received the word. There was, there was evidence of grace by the Holy Spirit that you're able to look at the word and know that suffering is something that is inevitable. So the first way that, we, that, that we're going to be able to handle suffering is, um, is by knowing God's word and trusting God's word because God is not hiding anything. He reveals all of this to us in his scriptures. Um, Paul transitions here to be able to talk about how much he misses them again in verse 17. He says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope and our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are glory and our joy. Just a segue right now. Um, the two themes that I've been saying that we've been looking at in this Bible is one, in light of Jesus' return, and then also Paul's affection. So when Paul says we were torn away from you, the, the language there is they were ripped apart by force. And so when you read the end of Acts chapter 17, you see that there was persecution that happened and they had to get Paul out of there. And so Paul wasn't able to stay with them as long that he, as he wanted to be. He, he wasn't able to teach them all that he wanted to teach them. And he says, I miss you guys. There's an affection. He says, I long to see you guys. And he uses that language a couple times in, the, in this whole section. And that word long is the, same, is the Greek word epithemia is where we get the word lust. And so he's talking about it in a good way. I, I really want to be with you guys. Again, Paul cares about them. He deeply cares about them. And then he says, what, what is our joy? What is our crown? That we stand before God with you. And so the picture here that he gives at the end of chapter, the end of chapter two is that he says, when Jesus comes, we don't want to just say, oh, they became Christians. We want to be able to stand next to you, to look at our God and say, look what you did through us by grace with these people. To put their arms around them and say, we walked with them. And through the midst of suffering, they walked with you, Jesus, by your grace. He's saying, we want to stand before our God with you. So Paul be able, is able to show them, this is how I want you to live. And then he transitions and says, therefore, because we love you and because we want you walking with Jesus in light of his second coming, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Paul now gives us a little bit more on how to handle suffering. And, and just to kind of get a glimpse into Paul's life, he, he, this is not someone who doesn't know suffering. In fact, if you, if you uh, turn over to the left real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in uh, verse 24, you just get a glimpse into some of Paul's suffering. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, give you some time to get there. The same Paul that is writing on suffering and how to deal with suffering later, later, later writes this back to the church that's in Corinth. Second um, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 says this. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less once. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night in the day, uh, night and day, I was adrift on the sea, on frequent journeys, and danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, and danger from the Gentiles, danger in city, and danger in the wilderness, and danger at the sea, and danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, and hunger and in thirst, often without food, and cold and, expo- and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety. For all the churches, who is weak and who am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? But Paul says, I, I, I get it. I, I understand suffering. And then he goes on to say, because I understand suffering, because I know that it is, it is, it is impossible for people to go through life without suffering, I cared about your faith. And so I sent Timothy. The primary reason why Paul sent Timothy is he sent Timothy to check out on their faith. And not to be the evangelical police that we have. Are you saved? Are you saved? Did you mean it? Um, some of us grew up in churches where, where we always were asked, are, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you sure? And we just use that language. That's not what he's talking about. When he sent Timothy, he says to check on their faith. It wasn't to see if they were still Christian. And so when he uses the word faith, you don't think Galatians or Romans, where Paul is saying that we have to believe in Jesus for our salvation. He's not so much checking to see if they believed in Jesus for their salvation as he is saying, are they still walking in that faith? Are they walking in that belief? Are they growing in faith? Are they enduring? Because he knows. Here's the truth about suffering. No matter who you are, suffering has the potential to get in the way of your faith and your trust in Jesus. It has the potential. And Paul says this in verse verse 3 and 4. He says, That no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Paul says, when I was with you, I told you. I told you. And Paul knows. He's at Athens right now, and he's wondering, how are our people doing? How are our friends doing? Things are happening to them. They're bigger than them. How are they doing their faith? I'll never, I'll never forget sitting down with a good friend of mine who I thought was a Christian. I was so excited when I became a Christian. And I drove home, and I was telling this girl, because she was one of the only Christians I knew growing up, and just saying, oh, I'm so excited. This is what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. Praise him. And just all the Christian language that I had just learned all in a minute. And, and, and she's just like, like looking at me, and she's so excited. And so I thought, oh, keep going. And so I just kept, kept talking and talking and talking. And finally she goes, Ricardo, Ricardo, Ricardo. Um, that's really cool you know I don't believe in God anymore. And I was like, what? Like, are you kidding me? You could have stopped me like six minutes ago, right? And, and she goes, no, no, no. And then she just proceeded to talk about things that had happened in her life and things that had happened to her mom and her mom's husband, and he died, and her second husband, and he died. And she goes, there's just no, ah, I don't know, Ricardo. I, you seem to be so excited, but there's just no way I can really believe in that. This was like the girl that I, I like, if there was one person I knew, I'm like, oh yeah, she's a Christian, of course, because she talks about Jesus all the time. But all these serious events had happened in the past 10 years that I hadn't talked to her, and it was something that happened. And, and, and there are people in this room. In fact, there's not a year that goes by that there's someone not in our congregation that says, hey, I'm, this is my first time stepping foot in church. I've been in church in five years. And you ask, well, what, what happened? And, and, and it's usually some tragic moment, something that has happened. And the guy, I just, I got so angry with God, and I just, I couldn't handle it, and so I left. We know people like that. Some of us are people like that. Some of you, this, this is your first time back in church, and you're saying, that's me. Pa- Paul knows the potential of what suffering does. And, and, and the, tr- the truth be told, when it comes to handling suffering, as Americans, we're just, uh, we're some of the worst people. 
at handling suffering. One, because suffering, because we, we live in a it's not fair culture. Everything is, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair, how could this happen, this is not fair. And then part of that is, I'd say part of one of the reasons it's hard for us to handle suffering is that we don't have an accurate view of God, and therefore we don't have an accurate view of the gospel. And you, oh, here we go, we always say it's a, it's a problem with the gospel. It is, it's a problem with understanding the gospel. Here's what I mean. Some of, some of us, when we handle suffering, we, we have a moralistic mind frame, and so what that means is we have this... Um, this kind of Santa Claus theology. And when I say by Santa Claus theology, it's like if you're naughty, you don't deserve anything. And if you're nice, you deserve something. And so, so essentially that God is basically responding to you basically off your moral behavior. And so you respond in two ways. You respond in one of two ways. One of the ways that you respond is if, if you've been re- living a really good life and you pay your taxes and you're a good dad and you baby dedicated your kids and you love Jesus, you know all the songs, you went to Awana, you did Final Graph, you did everything that, that, that you were supposed to do as a Christian or even just as a good citizen, right, if you don't even know Jesus. And then when suffering comes to you, the way that you respond is in, in some form, some way by saying, how could this happen to me? Are you, how could this happen to me? I mean, I, I, this is what I do and this is what I do and this is what I do. How could this happen to me? When I first became a Christian, excuse me, when I first became a pastor, one of the first couples that I was discipling or counseling, they were trying, and it was so, again, this is why suffering is so sensitive. They were trying to have a baby. They wanted to have a baby so bad. They had been married five years. And then I remember the wife saying, I just don't understand this, Ricardo. I work with all these kids in, in, in South Phoenix and all these teenagers, and all they do is sleep around. They have kids, and they have all these babies. They don't care for them. Some of them abort these babies, and I just don't understand. I was a virgin when I got married, and my husband was a virgin when we got married, and we've been married, and we've walked with Jesus our entire life. We would be way better parents than you are, and yet we don't have kids. And, and you want to be sensitive, totally. And at some level, you, you want to say, hey, um, the reason, don't you think, <laughs> do you see what you're saying? You, you really don't get the gospel. You're saying because you've done certain things that somehow now God owes you. That, that's what I say about Santa Claus theology. That you, you, you've been nice, and therefore this is something that God owes you. And when you read through the Bible and you, you see the scriptures, that you see God does give things, and God does give life, and God does bring miracles, and he does bring babies, but by no means did he say because you deserve it. Everything that we get from God is a gift. It's undeserved. It's undeserved. Now, that's one side, because you've done good, you say, how could this happen to me when suffer, suffering comes? Now, on the flip side, on the other, on the other, the same coin, on the other side, there's people who have done bad. There's people who have moral laps, and they, they, they just can't get it together. They're constantly falling, they're constantly stumbling, and you know people like that, and maybe that's you, and then when bad things happen to you, or suffering comes in your life, you say things like, of course this is going to happen, because look what I've done. I deserve this to happen. I deserve for bad things to happen in my life. I mean, if God abandons me, I totally deserve it. Some of us are like that. Christians, we're like that. When I, when I first became a Christian, I, um, I thought, okay, my wife's never going to love me because of how bad I've treated women. I'm probably not going to be able to have kids. If I do, they're going to raise up and do all types of crazy things to me, like I did to my mom. Um, I don't deserve, I just had this theology that God, God has already given me Jesus, therefore he wanted to give me nothing else. I don't deserve anything else. Now, part of that is true, we don't, and yet, you don't get the gospel in this. God is not looking at your moral record and saying, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to bless you, I'm not going to love you, I'm not going to serve you because of your moral record. It was never about you to begin with. It was never about you. It was always about him. And so you say, that, that person says, of course, of course God should abandon me. This is why these bad things are happening. Let me just tell you this. Truth be told of the gospel. God is not punishing you 
He's not punishing you because of your moral failures. Because if you were in Christ Jesus, what we know is God doesn't punish you because he's punished Jesus on your behalf. And so what, what may be happening is you may be having consequences of your own sins, that God may be trying to get your attention, but he's not abandoning you. In fact, he's allowing those things to happen so he can exercise his fatherly love to show you how much he loves you, not because of how much he hates you or because he wants to abandon you. So part of it is we look, part of the way we suffer in a wrong way by not looking at the gospel is because we think it's about our moral behavior and we don't look to the cross. But the next way is not, it has nothing to do with your morality. It has, the way people avoid suffering or they treat suffering is by avoiding it. Um, this happens in our culture like crazy. These are people who try to avoid it at all costs. So they'll lie, they'll cheat, um, they'll, they'll lie on a lot of things. And we know we're like that in ourselves. We will not tell people the truth because we don't want any form of suffering, even if it's, wow, that lady has something green on her teeth. I don't want to hurt her feelings. <laughs> I'll just let everybody make fun of her the rest of the day. Like, that's, that's, that's not healthy either, right? And you take that, you take that, you take that further. You, you know something that's horribly happening to someone's kids, and you're like, oh, I don't want to tell them. Uh, you, at all costs, you do whatever you can to avoid suffering, to make everybody happy. And, the, and there's many ways that we avoid suffering. It's not just le- lying and cheating and hiding. Some of us, it's a, it starts at a form of addiction. And so it's a way of an escape, a way to kind of get away from the reality of life. And then, because suffering is inevitable, when suffering does happen, what you say is, there's no way there could be a God. And if he is, he's really, really, really cruel for allowing this to happen, or he's not powerful enough to stop it. There's just no way. And so you say, if, if there's a God, he definitely doesn't care about us, and he definitely doesn't care about me. However, both of those ways, they're basically about you. Both of those ways are about what you can do or what you haven't done, or to reject the holy God. Paul does not send Timothy to encourage these these Christians. Paul does not write this letter. God does not allow this letter to be written and so that, that we would be encouraged to, in one way, to suck it up, and one way to do good so that we can live in a life of karma so bad doesn't come to us. He does not say just get rid of God because all of a sudden that'll get rid of suffering. No way. Because even if you get rid of your belief in God, you still have suffering. How do, you, how do you handle that? And yet Paul sends Timothy in verse 2. It says this, I sent Timothy, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Here it is, how we handle suffering. To establish and exhort you in your faith. The, the word establish and exhort here means to establish in Jesus Christ and to exhort in Jesus Christ. So to establish them, meaning to remind them of who they are in Jesus. To remind them that the same way that they became Christians, belief in Jesus' life, and his death and his resurrection, and it's in that same belief that they will grow as Christians. He says, don't don't look to yourself and don't look to your moral record because that's not gonna bring you comfort. If anything, it's it's gonna give you a false sense of security and a false sense of identity. And he says, and don't blame God. In fact, look at God. He says, I'm gonna exhort you. I'm gonna encourage you in your faith, meaning the way that you should handle, the way that we can all handle suffering is by looking to Jesus. Here's what I mean. It's looking to the cross, I'm convinced that the cross makes sense of suffering. It doesn't answer the question of why is there suffering in this world. God doesn't give us a a clear, concrete answer for why, but it does give us hope. It does give us comfort. Here's what I mean. To the person who says, God, God, this has happened to me because of my life. The reason why you're punishing me is because of my life. Like I said, no way. Jesus says, "Are are are you kidding me? The reason why I came was not to punish you, but to grow you and to love you and to serve you. I t- you, you do deserve punishment, but in my infinite love for you, I took every single wrath of God on the cross. So that person looks to the cross and says, God is not after me to hurt me, 
God is after me to love me, to counsel me, to comfort me, and to be with me in the midst of my suffering. And to the person who says, I've lived a good life. I've done good things. It's hard to see that bad things happen to me. You look at Jesus and you go, man, Jesus lived a really good life. Jesus was the one who was really perfect. And look at his life. Poor family, comes from a poor town, didn't have the proper education. His friends abandoned him. He was homeless when he grew up. He said, foxes have their holes and the birds of the sky have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his hand. And the most crucial time of his moment when he cries out to God, his friends leave him. And then on the cross, you see, he suffered injustice. He really suffered injustice. He was truly innocent. And so what the cross shows you, you're more wicked and flawed than you ever dare believe, but at the same time, you're more loved and accepted than you ever dare hope. Anything that you receive from God, you receive it as grace, which shouldn't lead to complaining or fist shaking, but to praise and adoration. Amen? And then to the, to the person, to the person who says God is even cruel to allow this or he's not powerful enough to stop it, God doesn't, I, I hate injustice. I hate it. I hate sexual exploitation. I hate it. Therefore, God doesn't care about us. Let me just tell you this. The fact that you hate injustice, the fact that you hate all those things, you're more in line with Jesus than you really think. Because when Jesus didn't just come to this world to save souls, church, he didn't just come to this world just to save sinners that we may be forgiven. But Jesus came and he looked into this world, a world that knowingly he knew that he would have to suffer to what? Not just to save sinners, but also to, to, to destroy evil. This, this was something that God talked about in Genesis chapter 3 when, when he cursed the serpent and he said, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head, ultimately giving us a little picture of what Jesus would do. And how when he came, he wouldn't just conquer sin, Satan, and death on our behalf, but he would conquer sin, Satan, and death on behalf of the world. That's why I love Christmas when we sing, to the world, that we sing the song that we get so used to, but it's got profound theology. This is joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. Jesus came, then he looked at things that you look at and you say that you hate, and Jesus hated it too. He hated things that ultimately end in death. He hated injustice. It's why when you, when you read the gospel and you see Jesus and Lazarus is, is, is dead, and it says he goes to his tomb, and, and, and the language behind that is that he's bellowing with rage. The only other time that that language is used in the Bible, and it talks about um, animals who are, who are running in rage. And you say, why is he angry? He's not angry because they're crying, and he's not angry because Lazarus died, because he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. The reason why he's angry is because he hates death. And he hates, he hates injustice. He hates kids that are exploited. He hates divorce. He hates families and relationships that are broken. The same things that you, you hate, you've got to realize, Jesus hates them too. And, then, and to the question that he doesn't care about you, listen, like I said before, God doesn't give us a concrete answer of why is there suffering and evil, but here's what we do know. The God of the Bible, Christianity, is the only religion that gives us a God who not only understands suffering, but he himself suffered. So when you look to the cross of Jesus, you can't say that he doesn't care. Because our God could have said, you know what, I'm done with it. But yet you can't walk away from Christianity because you think God abandons us. In fact, our God says, I, that's the last thing I'm going to do. I will never leave you nor forsake you. On the cross, we see Jesus Christ not only suffering for our sins, but Jesus Christ suffering with us. And so whatever, whatever suffering we go through, we can walk through and say, we can look at the cross. There, there, the, the cross makes sense of our suffering. It gives us comfort in the midst of our pain. And it gives us someone not just to look to in his example, but someone who's our redeemer. Someone who is with us. Someone who understands what it means to go through the things that we have gone through. I think some of the people in our, in our culture that have really, really grasped this was, was African-American slaves. And I don't just say that, you, go, you know. <laughs> was African-American slaves, because the, the, more, the more that you read this theology they had, I mean, they had every, they, and, and humanly speaking, they had every right not to believe. 
Here they are, they were ripped away from their country, they were brought to this country and to be slaves. And most of their owners were Christians. <laughs> most of their, honor, their, their owners believed in this Jesus we're talking about. They could have said, the last thing I'm gonna do is believe in this Jesus. Really, you believe in this is what your, your God does? But what happened when they found about the cross? It made sense. We have a God who enters in. We have a God who knows what it's like to be whipped. We have a God who knows what it's like to be lynched. We have a God who draws near. And we have comfort in this. The same God that hung on the cross, he didn't stay on the cross, but he went to the tomb and he, and he conquered death. That there's life after this life and he's resurrected. So they made sense of it and they, they wrote great songs and great hymns that talked about what it meant to live in light of eternity. So in the midst of their suffering, what we saw is the cross made sense. They didn't run away from God. They ran closer to God. They ran closer to him. I, 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 I don't want to be too autobiographical, but... I, I grew up in a household that, that, that was um, not perfect. And I, I would watch my mother, what I would say, suffered beyond all belief, and, and I thought she could have gotten out of it. And she would go to church week after week after week, and it made no sense to me. It made no sense to me that these, these men and women at the church were not telling her to leave and to leave our family and take us somewhere else because we were, we were experiencing the whiplash of what was happening in my household. And yet, yet every day, she would tell us, God wants me here. God loves us. He'll make sense of this. And it just makes me so frustrated. But I'm so thankful. And every single one of us have gone through something. We say, I would have never prescribed that. I would have never, I, I would have never written that. But, but I'm glad this has happened. And, and, and because God never wastes our suffering. He never wastes it. L- look what he says in verse 6 here. But now Timothy has come to you. He's come from you and has brought us good news of your faith and your love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, and as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. What, what, what Paul is communicating here is this. You are suffered, we've suffered, and now we're, 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 we're united by faith. And he's not saying this in some trite way. He's saying we've been comforted. The way we were able to comfort you in your suffering is the same way that you were able to comfort us in our suffering. We go through suffering sometimes so God would get our, get our attention. We go through suffering sometimes so that God would humble us. And sometimes we go through suffering. My mom taught me this a long, long time ago. Some of the, some of the things we go through, we go through from someone else. There, there's, not, there's very few weeks that don't go by when I sit down with one of our guys and our girls and say, hey, here's my life, here's my upbringing, and I can go, ooh, I know what that's like. And, and you want to know what's hard is? I look at people's lives that had the same life that I had, and um, it makes me cry. And, and not because I don't know what it's like, um, but I felt like through that whole time, God protected me, and I can see in their eyes, like, dang, this hurts. And the only thing I can do is say, listen, like, there's hope. It, it, it may last for a while. My mom would always tell us what the psalmist says. I never knew it was in the Bible. Half the stuff my mom said was in the Bible. I just didn't know it. I was like, man, she's so wise. <laughs> She'd say, we, we, we endure suffering for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. We endure suffering right, but joy is in the com- comes in the morning. And then I read James, and we went through James, that you go through these trials, because the trials are, they're testing you, and they're growing your faith. Suffering has one, t- can do two things. One, it can make you, it can draw you away from God, or it can draw you dr- directly on your knees, which is exactly where we need to be. Amen? God does not waste your suffering. And I, I will say this, if you are going through something right now that is bigger than you, Please come to one of us. Please come to one of your brothers and sisters. Let us lay hands on you, not just pray for you. Please let us come alongside of you. And, and some of you are here going, I've never gone through anything bad before. I've, I've, ra- I've been raising a great life. I grew up listening to you know, Sandy Patty and Amy Grant. 
you've suffered, all right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but but in, all, in, all, in all honesty, you, you, you have, you have. It may not be this guy's or it may not be this girl's, but you have something and you have something to give, namely because you have Jesus, amen? Let's pray. Lord, you are so, so good. And uh, God, we need to see that. God, we need to see that you are bigger than whatever it is that we're going through, and yet you were intimately involved. That, Father, somehow that you thought it was, uh, you have some reason for all of this, Lord. You have some reason for, for the 9-11s and for the tsunamis. You have some reason for allowing these things, God. And Lord, we don't know them, and that is really hard for us. It's really hard for me, God. It's really hard for me to know the things that are happening, even with our own body, that are outside of our people's hands. Lord, it's hard to know that people are losing jobs. It's hard to know that families are, are uh, being fractured. It's hard to know those things, Lord. And yet, when we read your Bible, we know that those things have been going on and it's the very purpose of which you sent your son. Lord, we see that, that redemption is not just something that's individualistic, Lord, in which you are saving us from our sins, in which we know that that is true and we're thankful, but it's corporate in which you are, Lord, redeeming this entire world God, that you will undo all the things that are wrong. And in the midst of that, Father, we pray in light of Jesus' coming, God, that you would develop for us a deep abiding joy and hope in your name. God, we just dedicated all those children, Lord. And those children don't know it yet, Lord. This world is, uh, this world is broken. And so, Father, we pray that we would be able to come alongside them in our own brokenness and point to the one who was broken on our behalf, that we may be healed, that we may be whole, that we may be one. Jesus, we thank you for the cross and we thank you for the resurrection in which you give us hope and life. And as we, as, we, as we transition into taking communion, God, I just pray that we'd be able to reflect and take some time and thank you, Lord, that you yourself suffered for us and that you suffered with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.